Would you take your Bibles with me, turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I said Acts chapter 8, I meant Acts chapter 10. I'm not sure why, where I got 8 from, but Acts 10. Now that I said that a thousand times, go to 10, not 8. 10, 10, 10, 10. Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Do you ever get tired of waiting? <laughs> I do. I hate waiting. Uh, one of my <laughs> probably flaws in life are impatience. Uh, I hate waiting. I want people to do what they're supposed to do right away. I want my children to do what they're supposed to do right away. I want people to show up on time, all this stuff that I uh, hate. I just hate waiting. And there are times in my life where I want to quit waiting on God. I want God to show up right now. I want God to do something right now. And in fact, um, as odd as this may sound, I look back on the last eight months now of being pastor here, and I think, how come something bigger didn't happen? Like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Are you going to do something? And I, I, want, I expect God to do something great, and I want him to do something today. I pray that this service will, will start something. I pray that for every service, because I do, I really do. I really expect God to do something in our midst, and I'm not going to say he isn't. But you have this certain expectation when you go into something, and you're waiting for that expectation, and you're waiting for God to show up. Do you ever just want to rush God a little bit? Do you ever want to be like Abraham and take things in your own hands and do your own thing and, and just, hey, this is what's going on, God. Just thought I'd let you know. Rush God a little bit. Do you ever want him to show you exactly what is going on exactly when you want it? <laughs> Happens all the time. We are, I am like that. I am very much like that. God, what are you doing? I want to see it, and I want to see it now. I want to see what you're doing. I want to know what's going on. And sometimes in my life, especially, it seems like God just isn't listening. God's just not hearing my prayers. God's not paying attention. God's, uh, again, not to be disrespectful, but God's off in la-la land. That's, what, that's the way I picture it, right? Like, come on, God. Like, let's go. Don't you know what's going on right here, right now? And sometimes you wonder. seems like God doesn't care. Why isn't God answering my prayers? Why isn't he doing something for me or with me? Why do I feel like I'm just going through the motions? Why do I feel like results aren't coming? And listen, we are a very results-driven society. Probably more now than ever. And listen, we have analytics for all kinds of different things. And if you choose to, you can look at your browsing history and I can tell you what you've been looking at and what you're interested in. And it's amazing what data we have. And we're results-oriented. But so often, there are times in our life where we just don't see results. Where we just don't see what God is doing. We just don't understand what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. And we feel like we're just going through the motions. There are times we want to ask these questions. 
God, why? Why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you listening? Where are you? There are times we just want to know. God, show me what it is that you have for me. God, show me what it is you're trying to teach me. God, just show me. In our passage here, you'll see a man by the name of Cornelius. And I can just imagine that Cornelius was one of these people. God, what in the world are you trying to do? So let's take a look at this. Acts chapter 10, look at verse 1. The Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now understand, this is a Roman centurion. You must understand that. He is a Roman. He is um, of the Italian band. That, that's Rome. And, and, and this is all of those people that are in this part of the world. And he is in Caesarea for a reason. He's in a Roman city called Caesarea. So he is there and he is implemented and he is a centurion. Now a centurion is captain over a hundred men. So he's not just a little private he is, you know, a sergeant or a lieutenant. He is somebody that's, that's a little bit better. He's a centurion, okay? So he was, look at verse 2. Notice he was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa. Remember, there's a man there. And call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So call for Simon Peter. He lodgeth with one a Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed... He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Reason for Faithfulness. The Reason for Faithfulness. Before I do that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Father, we really do have so much to be thankful for. And Father, if we are too comfortable where we're just sitting and doing nothing, would you, would you please help us? Would you please shake us up a little bit? Would you please help us to see the reason behind it all? Would you help us to understand what our life means in this world and to you? And Father, I just pray that your will would be done in our lives. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. We don't deserve your love. But Father, we will take that. And Father, I pray that we would use that and keep that as our central focus. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason for faithfulness. Now what you need to understand is this entire story that we will end up taking a look at. But you'll go all the way through Acts chapter 10 and you'll see the entire story. What's going to happen is Cornelius goes to call upon Peter. Peter... Uh, is in a trance, the Bible says, and he begins to see a vision. And we'll see in a little bit, I don't want to give it all away, but he sees a sheet coming down with all kinds of different animals on it, unclean animals. And God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, oh, no, in typical Peter fashion. 
says, oh, no, no, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. I'm not going to do it. And this happens three times. God comes down and says, hey, Peter, arise and eat, kill and eat. Peter says, no. So while Peter's thinking about these things, Cornelius' three men are coming to Joppa, to Simon the Tanner's house, looking for a man by the name of Simon, whose surname was Peter. Sure enough, Peter comes down and understands that what's going on is God is calling him to see Cornelius. Peter goes to Caesarea, sees Cornelius, and Cornelius has many people there. And it's at that time that Peter begins to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius. And Cornelius and all the people that were there with him get saved and receive the Holy Ghost. You say, well, that's great. But what's the big deal? What's the reason for this? You see, the reason is that from the time the world began, up until this point, the only way that you could be a quote-unquote child of God was to become a Jew. It's the only way you could do it. You had to become a part of the Jewish religion. You had to be a Jewish proselyte. The Bible says that from the time the world began, God had predestined a group of people. We understand that, and if you want to take some time, I'll try to explain that to you someday, how God predestined that the Gentile race would be able to receive Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. So God foreknew this. Before the world began, he had a plan in place that not only would the Jews be able to be God's people, but really every person would have the opportunity. And this, this is the first time that a Gentile receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. This is the first time, in fact, if you read through and even jump into chapter 11 a little bit, the Jewish people get upset at Peter. Peter. I can't believe you went to a Gentile's house. And I can't believe that he got the Spirit of God upon him. I can't believe that all this is happening. But what you need to understand is God had a reason for this. God foreknew this from the time of the world, before the world began, that he was going to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. It was in God's plan. Since the creation of the world. You see, God could have chosen any way to do this. I mean, God's a mighty God, right? God could do anything. I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels down, and he could have had them in the sky saying, hey, everybody, all you Gentiles, now is your time where you can receive the Holy Ghost. Will you accept him? Could have done that. Could have done it a myriad of different ways. We can't even imagine the possibility of ways God could have brought the gospel to the Gentiles. But he decides to choose a single individual man. And he decides to say Cornelius. Cornelius. So what was it about Cornelius? That God chose him to be the first Gentile, to receive the Spirit of God, the first Gentile, to be in God's family, to be God, one of God's chosen people. Why was it Cornelius? What was so special about him? What was so great about him? Why him? Well, number one, I want you to see, first of all, that he was devout. 
He was devout. Look with me there in verse 2. He says, a devout man. I love words, so I looked up the word devout. Strong's Dictionary means this, well-revered or well-adored or godly. Even means pious. So this was a man that loved and not even I, I, I loved God, but he adored He revered God. He put God on a higher plane than anybody else. He was devout. He was was someone that loved God. He was godly. He didn't just obey the teachings of God. He didn't just obey what God had placed upon uh, the Jewish people. He didn't just obey that and do those things. He was somebody that revered God. He put God in his proper place. He adored God. Loved him. It was as if God was real to Cornelius. It was as if God was was something that wasn't just a spirit in the sky, but somebody that was a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Something that he knew that God was with him all the time. It was just as if God was so real to him that he was walking with him every single day. That's what I believe the word devout means and the, 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 the way it carries this connotation. You see, so often in my life, again, maybe I'm not speaking for everybody, but for me, I often think of as God somewhere in the sky, which is not an untrue statement. But so often I forget that God is living inside of me. God is somebody that walks with me. God is somebody that talks with me. God is somebody that knows my thoughts. God is somebody that knows my intentions. God is somebody that is with me every single moment of every single day. Sometimes I forget that. And sometimes I forget that God is a real spirit really inside of me. Really working in me. He's right here. He's right beside us. He's inside of us. But here's the question I think we need to ask ourselves this evening. Is do we invite him to be that? Do we invite God to be with us? Do we invite God along with us? Or would we say, God, no, maybe you better stay out on this one. When we sit down in front of the TV, do we invite God to sit with us? When we talk the way that we talk, do we invite God to sit there in the conversation with us? When we, uh, I mean, you fill in the blank, when we do the things that we do, are we inviting God to sit with us? Do we adore God? God, come, come, walk with me, talk with me, be involved in my life. Is that what we do or do we say, no, God, listen, I'm going to watch what I want to watch. You just stay out here for a little bit. You realize that God doesn't do that. But a lot of times that's our attitude. And I don't get that. That's not what the word devout means here. Cornelius was not that type of person. Everywhere he went, everything he did, it was as if God was right there and he just wanted to please God in everything that he could do. He didn't just do the things that God wanted him to do. He knew God. He was devout. Do we want God to be a part of our everyday lives? Most of us, I think, on a base level would say, well, yeah, absolutely. 
But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, the things that we hide, the things that we uh, do in secret, do we really want God a part of our everyday lives? Do we really want him to have a say in what we do? Do we want to know God's mind on a certain matter? Do we want to know what he thinks? Do we want to ask him, hey, God, what do you think about this? Hey, hey, God, are you, would you think this would be okay? Do you, how do you feel? And do we want him? Do we invite him into the conversation? Do we want to know his mind? A devout person does. A devout person wants to know God, wants to understand God, wants to know everything there is to know about God. Do we revere him enough to have his mind? Cornelius did. Being devout, however, established the basis for the next two things that Cornelius did. Number two, I want you to see that he distributed. He distributed. If you will, look with me in verse 2. A devout man, one that feared God with all his house, watch this, which gave much alms to the people. Which gave much alms to the people. You see, the fact of the matter is this. Cornelius was just a man that gave. He just distributed. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what a Roman centurion made. No idea. We could probably look that up. But I can't imagine it was as much as you know, Caesar made. I can't imagine it was much, a ton of money, but all I know is he gave. He just distributed alms. He was, just saw people in need, and he just wanted to give and give. Listen, you can take this message, and you can go, oh, okay, all I got to do is just give. All I got to do is just give, and that'll be okay. No, listen, God loveth a cheerful giver. It's not about just giving. Listen, he was devout. And out of that devotion came a heart to give. You see, so often we get that mixed up. So often we mess that up and we think, oh, all right, I got to give my tithe or I got to give my time or I got to give this or I got to give that. Listen, no, be devoted to Christ first. And out of that devotion, when God convicts you, give. And so God had convicted him. God had shown him people in his area that he needed to give to. And so he distributed alms. He gave alms to the people. Hey, here's something that you need. Let me give that to you. Mark chapter 9 and verse 41, the Bible says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Just a cup of water. Just a cup of water. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. The Bible talks about saints and the giftedness of the saints. One of the requirements is that we need to distribute to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Those are the things that we need to do. We need to distribute to the necessity of the saints. Listen, every single one of us in here tonight has a need. And obviously the story of here of Cornelius is, is talking literally about money, alms. He gave money. I have no idea what some of us make. But I know most of us have extra. 
Most of us have things that we could give. When we see somebody that has a need, we could give to that. We could help with that. We could, uh, I mean, when the church has needs, listen, we have needs all the time. Listen, you, when God convicts you about something, don't hold back. Give. Distribute to the necessity of the saints. It doesn't take you very long to look around to find needs. Take your eyes off of yourself for just a few seconds and you begin to see other people's needs. I want to take you to a passage of scripture with me, if you would. First John chapter 3. Keep your finger there and Acts will come back. First John chapter 3. Look at verse 17. First John chapter 3 and verse 17. The Bible says this, but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I see that somebody has a need. I can fulfill that need, and I just go, no, not happening. And I shut up that bowels of compassion. How dwelleth the love of God in you? Let's just stop there. It says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's one thing for me to say I love you to my wife. It's one thing for me to say I love you to my children. Listen, it's even one thing for me to stand up here and say I love you to you folks. But listen, don't love in just word, but in deed and in truth. You see, this man, Cornelius, not only loved the Lord his God with all his heart, all his soul, and all his mind, but you know what else he did? He loved his neighbor as himself. He began looking around and seeing people that had needs, and he allowed his bowels of mercy to act. Verse 19 of 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. We know that we are of the truth if we are giving in that manner. If we are providing the necessity, if we're giving to people, if we're helping people, we're, we're doing these things. Listen, there are times in our lives where we just need to distribute. We just need to give. And you might say, well, listen, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of things. I don't have a lot that I can give. Listen, God will tell you what to give. I hate it when he does that. I hate it. Because I'll... This has often happened to me. Somebody will give us a gift card. And I will immediately, God will touch my heart and say, listen, you don't really need that. Somebody else needs that. And it's as if it just passes from my hands to another. And my first thought is, oh, cool, we get to go out to eat. And then I'm like, oh. listen, it, it's like that for me. It doesn't happen all the time. There are other things that God touches my heart on. Listen, God will speak to you. God will show you. God will help you. But listen, be devout. Understand, I want to love God. And out of the love for God, I want to love others. He was devout. He distributed. And I could not find a D word for this next one. Look with me again in verse 2. At the end of the passage, it says, And prayed to God always. 
very simply just prayed. Prayed. You know, we often think that praying to God is something that helps us get what we want. Over the last several years, I've decided and realized that that's not really the case. Because praying often does not ever get me what I want. <laughs> Again, that's kind of frustrating. Because, you know, I think I know what's best for me. I really do. I, I, I'm dead honest. I really think I know what's best for me. But the more I pray for that thing and the more I ask God for his will and I, I beg God, God, show me exactly what you want. If this is not your will, then, then so be it. Show me what your will is. And God begins to show me that what I had planned for myself is nowhere near what he had planned for me. You go back to the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Begging God, let, let this cup pass from me. Because this is what I want. I don't want to go through this particular situation. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You see, he just prayed to God always. Prayer is not to change God's mind, but to change our mind to fit with God's. It's to change our heart. It's to knit our heart together with God. Prayer is not to change the mind of God. Prayer is not to get what we want. A prayer is to help us become closer to Christ. And so I can't help but picture Cornelius on his knees begging God, God, show me your will. I can't imagine, I could just imagine him maybe like Daniel three times a day. I don't know if he opened his window. I, we, we really don't know. I can just imagine. I'm just picturing it. But Cornelius, pray to God always. Just constantly prayed without ceasing, prayed without ceasing. And I can just imagine his love for Christ growing and growing and growing and asking God for his will to be done and asking God for his will to be done. And every day, God, show me what your will is. Help me, build me, establish me, do what it is you want with me. And he just continues to pray that. Now, I want you to picture this with me. The Bible does not tell us how many years, days, months, whatever, that Cornelius was doing these things. It doesn't tell us. But what I want you to know is that he was doing them. And we may never know how long until we get to heaven that this was taking place. But this I know. He was faithful. I want to show you verse 4. The angel comes down and see, uh, Cornelius sees him in the vision. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Watch this. Watch, watch. Please don't miss this. Watch. He says, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. You know, Cornelius, all those things you did over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and we don't know for how long. He says, God remembered them. God saw you remain faithful. 
in your praying, in your giving of alms to the people who needed it. He paid attention to that. He remembered that. He remembered that you were faithful. He watched that. It became a memorial before God. Those two things. Those two things because he was a devout man. Because of those two things, he says, I want you to go to Joppa. And I want you to call one Simon, whose surname is Peter. I want you to get him over here. Listen, you may never know. You may never know what God is trying to do in your life. You're going to sit there and you're going to go, God, what are you doing? God, can you just show up? God, can we see your power? Can we see your power like Elijah saw the fire come down? Can we see that, God? We want that. God just says, not yet. Just remain faithful. Just stay faithful. Just keep doing it. Listen, and when I'm ready for you, I'll know exactly where to come. Remember you. Remember what you've done. See, Cornelius just did what he knew was right to do. See, it's so often easy for us when we don't get what we want to be distracted. Do our own thing. Well, that's not working. Let's try something else. Not Cornelius. He's devout. Loved God. Prayed to God always and just kept giving. Cornelius was, I believe this, a vessel that God wanted to use. I want you to go to Second, second Timothy with me. Chapter 2. Verse 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 19. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth. Some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meat for the master's use. Watch this. And what? Prepared unto every good work. You know what? I believe God's just preparing us. This is a hard message for me to preach because I genuinely want to see God work in a powerful way. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. But God's not looking for someone to have his power. He already gave that to someone. Satan. Satan had almost as much power as God had. In our minds, he was second in command. God gave him that power. You know what happened? 
Satan tried to overtake God with it. So God's not looking for another one of those. He wants somebody that he knows, that is proven, that is tested, that is tried, that is ready to have the power of God on their lives. Look at David. David did not automatically receive the power of God. David did not automatically just become king as Saul did. Saul was anointed king. He just became king, and look what happened to him. Power got to his head. But David was hunted like a dog. He had to go through some major things, but you know what he did? He just stayed faithful to God. And before you know it, one tribe is putting him up as king. A few years later, the rest of Israel comes to him and says, listen, we realize that you are the king. God has placed you in this position, and now David is doing something spectacular, and he's a man after God's own heart. God's looking for faithfulness. Sometimes we think we can just live the way that we want to live, and God will come down, and he will just use us mightily. But the fact of the matter is this, God uses those who are faithful to him. So listen, feel free. God has given you the ability, the free will to go do whatever you want. To watch, be, I mean, talk however you want. But if you're desperately wanting God, if you want to see him, if you want to see him do something, if you want to see God do something spectacular with your life, then just be faithful. God is looking for faith, not fiction. God is looking for faith, not fiction. He's looking for somebody that's faithful. That has their trust in him. Not somebody who's fake. Not somebody who just can put a show on. Somebody that's true. That's real. He wants that type of person. You know how I know that? Look throughout the Bible. Take your time. Give you one example. Mary. If God was choosing a mother for his son, would he choose you? God was choosing a earthly father for his son, would he choose you? See, the Bible says that Mary found favor with God. She was faithful to him. She did what was right. We believe she was a teenager. She didn't care what all the, all the other teenagers were doing. She didn't care what all the other teenagers were listening to her or gossiping about her, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. She was faithful to God. She found favor with him. She was devout, if you will. And God chose her to be the mother of Jesus Christ. God just doesn't choose the unclean vessel of dishonor. He wants somebody that's been faithful. I hope you know this. God wants to use you. 
I don't know who else God could have used. The Bible doesn't tell us who he could have used. I just know in Acts chapter 10, there's a name. It's Cornelius. Because he was devout. He gave, he distributed, and he just prayed. There's a reason for faithfulness. You may never, ever, ever know what it is. But guaranteed, 